Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zelmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with Dr. Tiffany Cobb, discussing the uniqueness of brain injuries. This episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion syndrome, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in Minnesota. They have greatly helped me and many others in the Twin Cities. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hello, everyone. I am Amy Zalmer, and you are listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors, by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not be familiar with who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council. And I recently released my second book, Embracing the Journey, Moving Forward After Brain Injury. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. Today, my guest is Dr. Tiffany Cobb, and Dr. Cobb is a pediatric neuropsychologist at Gillette Children's Specialty Healthcare in St. Paul, Minnesota. She received her doctoral degree in clinical psychology from the Illinois Institute of Technology in Chicago, Illinois in 2010, and completed her internship training and a two-year postdoctoral fellowship in pediatric neuropsychology at the University of Minnesota Medical Center. Dr. Cobb is a licensed psychologist in Minnesota, and she joined Gillette Children's in 2012. She evaluates children with complex medical conditions, including cerebral palsy, spina bifida, hydrocephalus, epilepsy, and traumatic brain injury. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Cobb. I'm very excited to have you here today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here and uh, be able to share. Yeah, you know, and I'm really excited. Um, Our topic today, you know, is the uniqueness of brain injuries and how no two injuries or people present the same. And you've probably heard the saying, you know, if you've seen one brain injury, you've seen one brain injury. (laughs) And it's so true. You know, I have a group of 8,500 survivors and caregivers on Facebook. And, you know, like there's definitely very common themes amongst everybody, but yet, we all have such vastly different stories of how it happened, how our recovery went, you know, like I've seen people with very, very severe brain injuries recover like almost completely while people who've had a very minor, minor (laughs) with quotes, um, brain injury struggle for years and years. So it's so complex. And I would love Dr. Cobb for you to just kind of start excuse me, for you to start, just give us your background and how you came um, to working with brain injury. Like, was there something that led you down this path or is it just kind of the way the schooling took you? 
Yeah, it was, um, it definitely was something I almost kind of fell into um, just through experience. Um, so as you mentioned, you know, I um, ended up specializing in pediatric neuropsychology through um, my internship and my fellowship. Um, and through those experiences, we, you know, the clinics that I worked in at that time um, really saw, you know, kind of a hodgepodge of, of all kinds of different presentations. Um, but we did have a, a fairly large um, traumatic brain injury population. And so, um, so that's kind of where I really first got my, my feet wet, um, so to speak, in terms of working with um, these individuals. And then certainly through my work at Gillette, um, I've been there almost six years now, and um, we have a minor neural trauma clinic at Gillette. And so, um, so that's a rather, you know, large population of, of kids that we see that have traumatic brain injuries. Um, so it wasn't necessarily something that I – thought about a long time ago, but certainly something that, like I said, I sort of fell into, but I certainly enjoy doing, so. Yeah, and, you know, it had to be really interesting to come about it that way, you know, like through mm-hmm. um, through school and residency and everything, and, yeah. you know, yeah. you had to have seen firsthand so many different things, and, you know, I've shared my my neuropsychology story before on the podcast, um, but basically I had my neuropsych exam about 15 months after my injury. Um, my neurologist okay. didn't know what to do with me, so she sent me for the neuropsych exam, and that, it was horrible. You know, it's like this, for me, it was about a four-hour test, and you're faced with all these things that you should be able to do, but you can't do. Mm-hmm. And then the neuropsychologist spent literally her notes say she spent 70 minutes with me and she wanted to put me on a Ritalin antidepressant and sleeping pills all in one visit. And I was like, no, wow, no. <laughs> and you know, like it's a story I hear all the time and it makes yeah. me so sad. And then I meet neuropsychologists who are amazing. Um, I had Dr. Cleary on a few weeks ago and we have you here today and, you know, so, and, and Dr. Fong out of Utah and, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's so reassuring to me that there are amazing ones like you guys out there. And, you know, like, do you think there's a gap? Do you think there's a gap in doctors who just really don't understand brain injury, even though they're you know, administering I, these tests? <laughs> right. I, I do think there is um, that there is a gap because, and I think there's a difference between, you know, being trained to administer these measures that we administer to people who have all kinds of issues. Um, and so, yes, yeah, certainly, you know, neuropsychologists are trained to do that. Um, but if they haven't had experience working with a TBI population, um, you know, they may look at just look at those test results and say, oh, yeah, you have an attention problem and let's give you this. Um, but, you know, when you work with the TBI population, you have to understand some of the, the nuances, some of the subtleties um, of how the effects of TBI can present themselves, particularly, I think, in individuals who have had um, more of a mild TBI because nine times out of 10, you know, they may not have had a loss of consciousness or if they did, it was very brief. And, you know, by the time you get to the hospital, you're looking pretty good. Um, lots of times nothing comes up on imaging. So, you know, there's not, there's not anything that, you know, someone can point to to say, oh, yep, there, you know, there's the injury, there's the problem. Um, but then, you know, a week later, two weeks later, a month later, you have these people coming back and saying, you know, I'm still having headaches. I'm still having trouble 
kind of paying attention and getting my work done and all that kind of stuff. And if you don't have experience um, working with that population or, you know, kind of understand how those things might present themselves, then yes, you, you know, as a, as a provider, you may look at those test results and say, oh, that doesn't have anything to do with it. That was, you know, months ago and it was just a concussion. Um, but it's not usually just a concussion. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I think there is a gap. I think there is a gap in, in, in terms of, um, you know, understanding some of those things. Yeah, I just remember going in. Um, so I met with her very, very briefly before, or it was actually during my test. Like at some point she came in to talk with me. Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. asked, you know, what are your, um, you know, so she knew I was coming in with brain injury and she actually worked for mm-hmm. um, Naran Neurology Clinic. Um, and I went in, um, she asked what my main problem areas were and I kept telling her my short-term memory like it's just non-existent mm-hmm. like I can turn around and forget what I was doing like it's just that fast like I pull up Google and it's gone before I like before Google even loads I don't remember what I was going to look up and yep. so when we got the test results back she basically sat me down and was like well you're you know you're you're showing that you're average for someone your age and your education level However, mm-hmm. in short-term memory, you scored worse than a dementia patient. So I think maybe you just didn't try hard enough. And I was mm-hmm. like, what? You know, like, I can't even believe this is happening. Like, is Ashton Kutcher going to walk out? Am I being punked? You know, um, like, literally, that's how I felt. Like, is this real? And, yeah. you know, I've later, so I just was like on this whole like I hate neuropsychologists, you know. Um sorry, no offense. And and um <laughs> yes, I turned back around. And when I was um out in Baltimore, I was visiting the um Mount Washington Pediatric Hospital. I met with Dr. Cleary and I was telling him my story and he was like, Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry this happened to you. He's like this is not at all how, how the results should be given to you. Like, you know, and, and so to hear like someone else come at it from their perspective and explain how things should have been done. And, you know, he, mm-hmm. cause he even said this woman should maybe even, you know, she shouldn't be practicing if this is how she approached it. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, unfortunately I hear this happen far too often and, yeah. You know, how, okay, so we've taken this exam. It's a four-hour miserable exam, right? And, <laughs> yes. and then you get, you get answers. Well, you don't get answers, I guess. What can someone do? Like, how, like someone in my position, I don't want to go take that exam again, right? Like, what, what can we do? How can we combat this? I mean, I guess, right. you know, I, d- I did zero research before I went. I just blindly went to who my mm-hmm. neurologist sent me to, you know, and I think right. that's the vast yeah. majority of us. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, I do think it's it's important for people to kind of do their due, due diligence and, and, you know, kind of do a little bit of research on the person that they're sending them to um, or, the, you know, the person that they've been sent to, Um you know, just to find out a little bit more about their background and, um, you know, what types of patients that they work with and, and that kind of thing. Um, so I think that's one thing that can be helpful um, from the patient and family perspective to, you know, to do a little bit of research. Um, but, you know, if you if you have had that type of experience, um, and obviously you don't necessarily want to do all the testing again, nor 
really are you probably able to um, because there's, you know, issues in terms of we don't want to repeat testing. So, you know, so if you had that exam and you go to another neuropsychologist, they're likely not going to repeat those tests if it's been within a certain time frame. Um, and so, you know, so that that can kind of confound the, the issue a little bit. But there's nothing wrong with sort of seeking a second opinion in terms of meeting with another neuropsychologist and having them go over those results. Um, and kind of it, similar to what you did, you know, when you went to, um, when you saw Dr., was it Dr. Clary? Um, Clary, yep. You know, just in, terms of, yep, just in terms of talking with someone else to get their opinion about um, the testing that was done and what your scores mean and if they might have a different perspective on that, um, I think is, you know, an option that, you know, everyone is entitled to. So, you know, don't, I would say to people, if you've had that experience, don't feel like you're stuck with that. Um, you can always, you know, consult with another neuropsychologist and say, hey, I had this testing done. Can you kind of look at it and tell me what you think? Um, they may want to do a little bit of additional testing, maybe some different measures that weren't given during that one to try to, you know, kind of get a, a better picture of what's going on. Yeah, you know, and and thank you for that because I do, you know, that second opinion is something we're entitled to, you know, mm -hmm. and you don't have to just take. I mean, that that applies to any doctor, not just a neuropsychologist. Absolutely. If you if you don't feel Absolutely. you're getting the yeah, if you don't feel you're getting the answers that you're looking for or if there just doesn't seem to be listening to you or getting it, you know, you have that right to find another doctor. You know, someone really explained it to me. You pay the doctor. The doctor works for you, not the other way around. Um, yes, <laughs> and I think sometimes we forget that, you know, um, yeah. especially when you throw a brain injury on top of it. Um, yeah. You know, and everybody's and at a different level. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, you know, and I always tell um, families, and you know, especially given that I work with children, um, you know, I, and, and parents, you know, when I'm talking with parents and everything and, you know, um, but I always tell them, like, you know your child the best. No one knows yes. your child better than you do. So, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share my perspective. I'm going to share the information that I've gathered. But if there's something that you feel like doesn't fit with what you see with your child, tell me and let's talk about it. Um, because, and, you know, I think that's the same for adults. Like, nobody knows your experience and knows you better than you do. Um, and so if you feel like a, a, a doctor or, a, you know, a provider is, is telling you something that's completely, <laughs> completely kind of off target and, and out of, you know, out of the realm of what you feel like is going on with you, then, you know, you, again, have that right to say something about it or find a different provider that will listen um, to what your concerns are. Yeah. And, and, you know, like in my situation, I'm a single woman, I live alone, you know, like in hindsight, I really wish I had taken a friend with me to see the neurologist mm. um, on several occasions. Cause I think, you know, I was able to talk and walk and I remember reading my, my neurologist notes later and it said, you know, patient is neatly dressed and has good hygiene. And I'm like, honey, I was wearing the same sweatpants I wore for four days and I hadn't showered in a week. Like, okay. <laughs> you know, but she didn't know that, right? Like looking from right. the outside, right. she just thought, exactly. oh, you know, she's got on clothes and she looks like she's bathed. Um, mm -hmm. Where a friend would have been able to speak up and say, you know, this isn't Amy. Amy's not acting the same. 
and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe be able to point things out. So in hindsight, I really wish I had brought um, someone with me. And, you know, it's something that doesn't even, when you're, when you're the brain injured one, you're, you're not thinking properly, yeah, um, you know? So, yeah. um, and, and in your case, when you're dealing with children, it's a whole different ball game because, you know, they have a parent mm-hmm. bringing them, um, yep. you know, and but, I will say, then I, I have parent. I tell parents, especially when we're, when we're planning for our feedback session, where we're talking about all of the testing and everything, I tell parents to, you know, that they are free to bring someone else with them as well. Cause even as a parent, it's hard to take in everything. And, you know, so having another set of ears and another set of eyes there to kind of help um, hear everything that you're hearing, you know, is, is mm-hmm. wonderful. So, or to take yeah. notes for you too. Cause I remember going Absolutely. in and I would have just going to my regular doctor, I would have like, I would write down questions to ask. Right. But then it yep. didn't even occur to me right down their answer. <laughs> so I'd get home and be like, oh, crap, what did they say? You know, <laughs> brain injury is so interesting. Yes. <laughs> you know, so give us a little bit of, you know, so you, you, see, you see lots and lots of patients in all levels. I'm sure you, you've seen, um, you know, like mm-hmm. we say, just a mild concussion all the way to a severe traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. What are some similarities you see? And then what are some, like, you know, what are some maybe even myths um, that we need to dispel in the world? Um, you know, so I think in terms of similarities, um, you know, there's even, I think, from mild all the way up to severe, there typically is some sort of disruption in terms of um, consciousness level or awareness of what's going on. So, and, and again, you know, it goes in grades from very mild to more severe where we're talking about somebody in a coma. Um, but, you know, I think the one of the similarities across, you know, TBI in general is that there's typically some level of altered consciousness. So whether the person loses consciousness completely or is just kind of dazed and a little confused and doesn't really know what happened, but they didn't lose consciousness, there's some alteration in that, in that level of consciousness. Um, I think the other um, relatively common thing that goes across most types of injury um, is that there's some change in terms of the level of um, attention and sort of ability to process information quickly yeah. or processing speed. Um, I think that, that those are things that are pretty similar across um, most types of TBI and, again, kind of vary with severity. But even with the very mild TBI, we tend to see some um, difficulties with concentration and some processing speed issues, um, at least in kind of that initial phase. And, you know, we, we hope that those things would recover. Um, but you know, I think those are um, probably some pretty common things that we see. Um, you know, in terms of myths, I think, um, gosh, you know, I think one of the myths, and I think it is um, maybe starting to be dispelled a little bit, but, you know, in general people say, for example, with concussion, oh, you know, four to six weeks, six to eight weeks, whatever, you know, <laughs> <be fine."> um, <laughs> I don't know that that's 
true. Um, for some people, maybe. Um, but I think, you know, the myth is that we can't really put a time limit on TBI recovery. Yeah. Um, you know, we we like to say that typically we, you know, we give it a year. Um, and sort of if you're still having issues after a year, then, you know, those those are the issues that maybe will continue to linger more permanently. Um, but that is still not always the case. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes doctors kind of have to give a time limit because, you know, it's hard for patients to say, well, we don't really know. Um, but yeah. the truth is we don't really know. <laughs> so um, the truth is that we don't really know how long it's going to take um, to recover, to fully recover, or if, you know, there will be a full recovery. Um, and so I think, you know, it, it's some of those time frames are, you know, just kind of a little bit, we'll just say this because we have to say something because it's hard for patients to hear that there isn't, you know, that there isn't necessarily an endpoint. but sometimes that is the truth um, is that we don't know what that's going to look like. And, you know, I know for me early on it was, oh, you know, let's give it a good four to six weeks. This could take a while. Mm -hmm. And then at six weeks, it was very clear I wasn't getting any better. And then he was like, well, you know, it could take up to six months. And then at six <laughs> months, it was like, well, you know, it just, it might take a year. And that was more frustrating to me than yep. if I had just been told from the beginning, you know, we really don't know how long this will take. It could take a mm -hmm. year. You know, some people mm -hmm. recover in a few weeks. But, yep. you know, it could take a year because, I mean, I felt like mine when I, you know, I mean, when I was in it and looking back at it, I felt mine yeah. was, I, I would say mine was probably more moderate than my, than mild because, okay. I mean, I think no one knows how long I lost consciousness, but I would say probably a minute or okay. two I laid on the ground. Okay. Um, but just my, those initial symptoms I was dealing with were rough. You know, the short-term memory, I had lots of headaches and visual problems. And, you know, like, I yeah. just feel like I would have, I wouldn't have been as scared if someone had told me it could take a year. You know, because you start hitting yeah. those milestones and you're like, why aren't I getting yep. better? And exactly, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, I know I always share with my families and, you know, and, Sometimes, and we see more kids who have um, who have mild traumatic brain injury than the more severe end of things. Um, and so I know that most most of the time, by the time these kiddos get to me, it's usually been months. So it's not like I'm catching, right. I'm able to mm -hmm. catch them at the beginning and kind of warn the family. <laughs> so you know, so similar to, to kind of your path where you weren't getting better, you weren't getting better. Your neurologist was like, "Well, it's been months. Let's send you to the neuropsychologist." Um, so many of my patients have taken that a similar path um, in terms of, you know, there's been months that have gone by before they get to me. Um, but that is definitely something that, you know, we talk about and, and I share with them that, you know, it, this, you know, this isn't a kind of a one size fits all sort of recovery path. And, um, you know, it, it's very different for every individual and that recovery can, you know, that can, that it can take up to a year or more. Um, depending on the issues that are happening. So, 
I know I have a adult friend who, and, and I think the older you are too, the harder, the longer the recovery is. I, I don't know if there's truth to that or not, but I feel like if I'd have been a decade younger, it might not have been so rough. But I have an adult friend who just fell on the ice a couple of days ago and she went to the ER and, and so this was on Facebook. She posted this. She's like, the ER doctor assured me I'd be feeling better in a couple of days. And I'm like, just smacking my head. I'm like, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, oh, it's, which that, that's the frustrating part. <laughs> but yeah, yep. It is. Um, you know, and that's the thing. Like, she might be feeling better in a couple of days, but she also might not. And mm-hmm. so I think you, know, you want to give patients, um, all of that information and, you know, not just assume that, oh, you just fell on the ice, you'll be fine in a couple of days. Well, you, Amy, just fell on the ice and you were not fine in a couple of days. So exactly. You, I mean, you, you want to, <laughs> so you definitely want to arm, you know, you want to arm people with just that, that information. That doesn't mean that that's going to be their course, but having the broader picture um, I think is can be helpful for families in terms of what their expectations are um, for their recovery. You know, and I get like the emergency room, their job is to triage and to keep people mm-hmm. from dying, right? Like mm-hmm. I guess that is the primary focus of the ER. And so someone right. that comes in to hit their head on the ice, they might be a little dizzy or woozy, whatever, you know, like you're fine, go home. Mm-hmm. However, our ER doctors need to be, you know, like, okay, you know, you could be feeling better in a couple of days. It could take a couple of months. It could take longer. Mm-hmm. Follow up with your doctor. If you're not feeling better, here's some information right. about what to watch for, you know, like, right. exactly. I mean, it's just that simple and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not happening. And I had another friend, her son, I think he was like five. He was sitting on their fence. And they were like getting ready to go somewhere and he fell backwards and landed on the cement driveway and he was knocked Mm -hmm. out briefly and they rushed him to the Mm -hmm. ER and then they took him to their, their pediatrician and he's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, he's fine. He's fine. He'll bounce back. He's fine. He doesn't have a concussion. And I'm Mm -hmm. just like shaking my head going. And I even Uh. told her, I'm like, you know, it could take a few days for the symptoms to appear. So just keep an eye on them. And she's like, oh, no, we're good. The doctor assured us he's fine. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know? And, and I think, you know, and with kids that young, too, they, with kids that young, they don't often have the words to, you know, tell us how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, he, he was, was he having headaches? I don't know. I mean, maybe he was able to tell them, but maybe not. Um, so that's also a caution with some of those younger kids too, is that they're not always able to communicate yeah. what they're feeling, they're experiencing, um, after an injury. So, you know, I think it's even more important to kind of keep an eye on those kiddos and, you know, are they more tired? Are they, you know, do they, are they sleeping more? Are they, you know, not playing the way they use, they usually do those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, you know, especially with those little kids, um, you know, like I, I want to say he was like five. And so let's say two mm-hmm. years from now when he's in school and he's struggling with, you know, maybe math or reading, 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like they might not even think back to that instant, right, where he fell in his head. Right. And that could right. actually be what's causing him problems in school. It's not that he has a learning disability. It's that he hit, he hit his head. He has brain injury. And they're very different yeah. things and how they need to be addressed. Exactly. Yep. And, you know, especially if he, you know, if he lost consciousness, you know, that, that is a, that's a pretty sure sign that his brain was, was, um, you know, yeah. jarred. Um, you know, and so while nothing may have showed up on imaging, um, you know, he didn't have a skull fracture or anything like that, which is, which is good. Um, the fact that he lost consciousness is, is, you know, certainly concerning and, and would be something that, you know, I would want to mention in his history uh, moving forward, particularly if he if he begins to have problems at school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Dr. Cobb, we're down to the final few minutes here, and I just want to make sure, is there anything um, that we didn't touch on that you wanted to mention, or if you have any final thoughts and thoughts of words, or <laughs> thoughts of wisdom, words of wisdom. There we go. Get it out, Amy. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, I I think you know just kind of going back to the topic and um, about the uniqueness of TBI and and just wanted to reiterate that you know every TBI is different, um, every person recovers you know at different rates um, and in different ways and even you know every presentation is different in terms of what issues a person has um, and so there's no real cookie cutter way of um, addressing TBI and that it really is um, you know every TBI is is unique. Um, and so I would encourage, you know, patients and families again to, um, to seek out the, the care um, for those symptoms, particularly if they seem to be lingering. Um, and to, you know, just again, empower people to get a second opinion if they don't, you know, if there's something that um, doesn't seem, doesn't sit right with them about the treatment that they're receiving. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and, you know, to, to try to, you know, maximize um, their recovery to make sure they're getting the right interventions. All very yeah, solid and advice. And thank you so much for having me. Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad that um, Lena was able to connect us. This has been a really great podcast and, um, Thank you so much for sharing with us today. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to be here. No, absolutely. My pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope that you took some good golden nuggets away from today's conversation with Dr. Cobb. And another big thank you to our sponsor, Minnesota Functional Neurology. You can find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. And again, be sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zalmer. And you can catch any of our previous podcasts at facesoftbi.com. And thank you all again for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey. And I will see you all again next time. Have a great day, everyone. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.